Hey, it's Steph Dixon and welcome to the Live Wide Away podcast. Thank you for being one of our listeners in 88 countries around the world. Now today is a very special episode because this was a fireside chat that I moderated during our recent Conscious Festival in Singapore with the ever-inspiring Arizona Muse on the topic fashion as a climate solution. Now Arizona Muse was credited as the new face of American fashion in Vogue and graced the cover of over 40 international Vogue magazines. But through all the glitz and the glam, she's kept her feet on the ground figuratively and literally in the soil and has found that that resonates with her the most. Her life's mission is to raise awareness about the climate emergency and climate solutions, which led her to found Dirt Charity. She is also an Oceans Ambassador for Greenpeace on the advisory board for the Sustainable Angle and the advisory board of the Biodynamic Demeter Alliance. In this conversation, Arizona will tell us why regenerating soil is one of the most critical pieces to save in the world, why fashion can and should be a climate solution, and so much more. It's time to live wide awake. Well, good afternoon, everyone. We're so glad to be spending our Sunday afternoon with you on such an important topic. And it is a huge honor for me to have Arizona on stage with us today. She's flown in to join us from the UK. And uh, I'm sure a lot of you, if you've met me before or seen me speak, you know that I used to work in fashion. I used to run fashion festivals around Asia and devour Vogue's from around the world. And Arizona's face was very often on the covers or throughout, scattered throughout the magazine. So I've known her as a supermodel, followed her journey for a very long time and was very pleasantly surprised when a couple of years ago, her platform started shifting to talk more about climate change. And she was taking us all on her journey of what she was discovering and how shocked she was and how she changed her entire mission and the entire way that she works. And I think there's just something so incredible about that and brave. And so I'm really excited that she's here. We're in Singapore and we're going to dive into this conversation. So Arizona, let's start, you know, walking through your life as a super model, how you then became a climate activist and now philanthropist and how that sort of impacted your empowerment and how, yeah, just how, how it's all happened. Thank you. So nice to be here. We met on Zoom a few years ago and I just, it's really nice when you meet someone in person and been watching what you do and I'm so impressed with you too, Steph. So it's, it's really nice to be here. Thank you. My whole life changed when I had this moment that I realized okay, I'm at the core of the fashion industry. I'm lucky to be working with the best and biggest fashion houses in the world and Vogue's. And and I realized, what even are clothes? I don't even know where they're made. I don't know who makes them. I don't know what the story behind cotton is or how do you make silk? And that for me was the beginning of my learning journey where I started educating myself. I started finding the answers to those questions. And as you all can imagine, the answers that I found were very, very negative, but full of exploitation. The fashion supply chain is a pretty nasty place is actually what it comes down to. So once you learn these things, you never go back. You can't just continue living life as you were before or I couldn't. And I felt really moved to change. And I felt really moved to change my own life, my own wardrobe, obviously, but also to use social media as a strategy to help other people to see what I was seeing and to never go back as well, to think differently before you buy something. And and it, I tur- it turns out I'm fascinated by supply chains, really nerdy about them. I want to know everything about materials. And so that naturally led into consulting. And I've been 
consulting fashion brands on how to make a shift in their own supply chains, which it turns out is it's just not as hard as fashion brands make it out to be. So if you're shopping and you see brands who are like, oh, we're making one tiny step at a time. We have one organic cotton t-shirt. It's not good enough <laughs> and they can do better. And there will be some kind of financial reason as to why they're not doing better than that. It's not a knowledge reason and it's not a lack of availability reason. So let's really hold our brands accountable. We can do it in a friendly way. We can always say with kindness, but firm kindness. I need better. I I need more from you. I know that it's possible. So let's do it. Yeah. And there's so much that we're going to unpack in this conversation that you just shared. But first, I'd love for you to just take us back to when you started now using your platform to talk about climate change and everything you were learning. How did your followers react? Because, you know, obviously you were very high fashion, Vogue, you know, the whole model, supermodel, traveling around the world. And then all of a sudden now you're talking about something that can be very heavy, something that, you know, people don't want to hear about sometimes. So I was very curious how your followers and even your clients like took that huge shift that you that you did. Not that well. They didn't take it that well. <laughs> I think at the beginning, well, at first, at the beginning of my educated self-education journey, that was nine years ago. And I wasn't even sharing anything on social media because I even felt a little embarrassed about how much I cared about this new thing that I'd found called sustainable fashion that really was not cool in any way. And when I began to speak about what I was learning about at a fashion dinner, say, Mm-mm, no, it didn't go down well. People were not interested. They were bored. They clearly wanted to talk to the other person on their other side. <laughs> and the same with social media. I definitely lost followers when I started posting about sustainable fashion and about the environment in any way. I tried several different approaches. Even swimsuit pictures didn't really work very well. <laughs> just none of it worked. And so I just decided that I didn't care. And I decided that I wanted to do this anyway. And I was doing it for me. And I actually don't love modeling anyway. I kind of hate it. It made me feel worse about myself than I've ever felt before. And this is quite common in modeling. I think the general understanding is that models look at pictures of themselves and go, oh, I'm so hot. Trust me, we do not. <laughs> we look at pictures of ourselves and go, that's wrong. That's awful. That's bad. Everyone's better than me. And we pick ourselves apart to the point where our self-esteem is down on the floor and our self-confidence is, I mine was lower than anyone else's. It was a very weird time in my life where my career, I was at the height of my career and the bottom of me feeling like me. So I was also okay with letting go of that. And I was okay with, okay, let's try something else and I'll just do it. And I'm really passionate about this. So I want to do it. And thank God I made that decision. I am so grateful. I love my life now. And I do still model a little bit and I'm lucky to have that. And I'm grateful. And it's now, I've now been modeling for 13 years. I've come through lots of circles of understanding of modeling, what it's done to me, what it can do for me, how I can be in right relationship with it and continue it just enough, a little bit with the right things, because I am lucky. And I recognize that my activism would not be what it is today if I hadn't been a model. They do go hand in hand. And that feels the best when I'm chosen to model for my activism. That's what I like best. And that does happen more and more and more often. And then my following started to go up again. So I lost the people who really weren't interested. And then those who were interested started joining. So it naturally kind of corrects itself. And 
I do recommend that whatever you're passionate about, even if people don't think it's cool right now, just do it because we'll probably make you feel great. <laughs> and then people are inspired by someone who feels great. And then that's how you get the momentum is what I've found in my activism. Yeah, no, there's so much I relate to there, especially, you know, I started Green is New Black and a Conscious Festival back in 2015 and no one was really talking about sustainability in Singapore and my friendship group at the time, which has changed now, just, you know, due to the nature of interest and life and everything. But they were all like, you know, well, you're going to become like a hemp wearing hippie stuff. Like you're going to be vegan and like telling us we can't eat meat and blah, blah, blah. And it was just all these, you know, very stereotypical things that I had to battle through and be like, no, guys, this is really cool. Just, just wait and see, wait and see. But the beautiful thing is some of those people circled back and were like, like, Steph, Steph, guess what? My company's doing this in sustainability. I'm like, oh, here we go. And then you welcome them. You're like, this is so amazing, you know? And I think people, when they have their epiphanies, everyone has it at a different time. And hopefully, you know, the ones that are, at least you got rid of the ones that really weren't interested and then you could help convert the ones that were. So I think that's beautiful. And just, yeah, sharing so vulnerably about, you know, the, the mental health side of things and just everything that you went through. Like, but now you found this beautiful balance. So it's, it's lovely to hear. Thank you for sharing that. And so I think if we take a step back, let's just look at big picture. Maybe, you know, everyone here is super familiar or works in fashion. Could you kind of just paint a bit of a picture about how destructive and socially corrupt the industry really is from what you've learned and understand? So I'll give you a few reasons. One is that built into the structure of the fashion industry is overproduction. So there are two types of overproduction. One is the accidental overproduction where you can't guess how many pieces of clothing are going to be bought. So you make a, as good a guess as you can, and then you sell those. That's, that's kind of, you know, somewhat okay overproduction. There's another type of overproduction that is not okay. And it's where you get all your orders in and then you order 20% more between five and 20% more clothing to account for like defaults and things like that. And this is because of the retailers. The fashion retailers say to every brand, you must do this because if we get an order that's incomplete because of a default, it's all your fault and we are not, that's unacceptable to us. And so they make it that a, a five to 20% over order happens. That's overproduction that is totally unnecessary and unacceptable and will go deeply discounted or just be thrown away. And that happens in all kind of price points of fashion. And I'd like to draw attention to the fact that this is not just a fast fashion problem. This is not just a cheap fashion problem. This is a luxury fashion problem as well. Luxury is equally as wasteful. The materials that luxury fashion are using are equally as destructive to the environment. And the practices are equally as poorly paid in many, many cases. So let's stop blaming fast fashion and let's stop letting luxury get by by saying, oh, we're very high quality though. People will keep our items forever. Let's look at forever. What does forever mean actually with a fashion item? Forever means maybe my grandma bought it. Maybe she gave it to my mom. Maybe I got it. Maybe my daughter, like that would be forever in a fashion garment, right? Everyone agrees. But what is that timescale to planet earth? Nothing. So let's stop referring to fashion as forever items. It doesn't exist. Eventually it will be thrown away. And we need to keep that in mind. Every single thing, no matter how beautiful it is, how exquisite, it is trash. We are making trash. So let's, let's make trash in a way that it won't harm the planet when it does go into the bin, because it will. Those are a few things. I mean, there's so much more. <laughs> the dye stuff, let's talk about dye stuff, because dye stuff is often something that we overlook. We look at the raw material like cotton, silk, wool, leather, but we forget 
that it's been treated with so many different chemicals to make it colorful, to make it white, to make it smooth, to make it shiny. All of these are chemical processes. And that was the chemical processing on the making of the garment before the material was even grown. The growing process, and that's agriculture, which I became really, really passionate about and started a whole charity called Dirt to address agriculture in the fashion space because the way we grow our clothes contains so many chemicals that are going straight on the earth. And when you spray chemicals on a farm, it doesn't stay on the field. Those chemicals are breathed in by the farm workers. They get on the skin of the farm workers, absolutely. They intoxicate all of the biodiversity who should be living on the farm, but eventually will all be dead. And when it rains or when the water, when the soil is irrigated, all of those agricultural chemicals slide off the field and they go into rivers and they go into seas and oceans and they pollute our entire globe. This is one of the main reasons why the ocean is toxic so toxic that its creatures are having a hard time staying alive in it. And our oceans are depopulated by about 90%. So imagine all the creatures that should be in the ocean right now, 90% of them are gone. And it's overfishing, but also water pollution. And the water pollution is almost entirely coming from agriculture. Also mining is very hard on water pollution. So these are just a few of the little problems that fashion is facing. One thing that's great about fashion is that we have a lot of global influence. People do read fashion magazines even if they don't work in the fashion industry. It's a, it's a very influential space. And look at us all. We all wear clothes, even if we don't work in the fashion industry. All those clothes are made by the garment sector. And let's, let's really think about that, because when I say fashion industry, we might be thinking about fashion shows with like 25 garments and like, hmm, what's the problem? It's just creative. And there aren't that many clothes in the fashion industry. But when I say fashion industry, I'm referring to every single garment that you've ever worn, every single pair of shoes that was ever made. Now we see the problem. And the waste problem is tremendous. I'm sure we've seen pictures from the Atacama Desert in Chile where there are piles and piles and piles of clothes that no one knows what to do with. Ghana has a severe waste problem where they've been accepting a lot of secondhand clothes, which are clothes that are in such poor condition that nobody needs to wear them and nobody will wear them. And eventually they're just piled, piled, piled high. And I'll share a really tragic story that I learned very recently, actually, from a woman called Liz Ricketts, who has the Orr Foundation doing really good work in Ghana. I saw her speak at a conference on Monday last week and she told this story that really moved me, so I'll tell you too. It's the first time I've told this story, so if I get if I falter, just bear with me. So this story is about these piles of clothes in Ghana, and it's about the women who carry these garments. These women are very young, between 16 and 25 years old, and their work is extremely poorly paid, and they have a name. Their, their name is similar to the untouchables in India, but this is this kind of it's a class of women who have absolutely no other opportunity and they aren't allowed to do anything else. And they carry these clothes in bales on their heads. And this bale is so big, it's hard to imagine. And this bale is not like a bucket of water where water, when you carry it on your head, it sloshes back and forth and it's possible to carry it safely. These bales don't do that. These bales are rock hard and heavier than the woman themselves. 
and these women walk with them, and within two months, they experience irreversible damage to their spines. Irreversible damage after two months of working carrying these bales. Sometimes they're also carrying their children on their backs as well. Sometimes these bales fall, and sometimes they crush the women underneath them. This is a fashion problem. What? It is such a big deal what this industry is causing in life to humans, to the earth. We all need to consider how do we buy clothing and how do we not just do activism through the, the clothing that we buy, that's a great place to start, but how do we get out there and do bigger activism? How do we make sure that we change the way this industry works because it's toxic for the planet and also for those women? Yeah, thank you so much. I mean, it's a very heavy reminder, but it's one that I think we all need to know and understand. So I think thank you for going into such depth and to really painting a picture of what we're dealing with because it's not just what we're putting on our bodies. It's affecting so many different environmental and social uh, things around the world. And it's such a massive industry. There's so many, There's I can't remember the exact stat, but it's like one in four people in the world or something work in the garment industry, which, I mean, when you think about the scale of that, it, it's insanity, you know, and like a garment garbage truck, you know, a minute is being dumped in landfill full of clothes, these kind of things. I mean, we can't escape it. And so now we understand what we're dealing with and what we're facing. I guess the next question is how you've been doing this for nine years or educating yourself for nine years, running, you know, your learning and, and your platform and everything. So how are you feeling right now? Like, have we evolved enough? Is the conversation happening enough? And this action that needs to happen moving forward, what is that? Aside from us all supporting ethical and sustainable brands, hopefully now we've, you know, everyone in this room at least um, will be making better choices. But what else is there? So yeah, evolution, how are you feeling? And then what more can we do? One thing I'm feeling really good about is that Dirt, the charity that I started two years ago and run with Simona, who's right here. You're welcome to come and talk to Simona anytime. She's very knowledgeable as well. We are working with a global certifying body called Demeter. And Demeter has done a great job in agriculture and the food side of things. But they don't have certifying standards for our side of things, the fashion side of agriculture, growing silk and wool and leather and tree fibers. And we're working with them to facilitate the creation of 10 new certifying standards, which will give fashion growers a guidebook and guidance and consultants to change the way they grow. And these certifications are not just about the growing, but they're also about the entire processing, which means making, of clothes right down until the decomposition of the garment, making a full circle. So when this garment decomposes, it will be food for microorganisms living in soil. I have not seen enough, I've actually never seen one, I'd love to see many, many, many of them, but enough of those infographics in fashion about circular economies, we have so many of them, and all of them that I see are in the air. I'm like, but it's uh, the soil is the beginning and the end of every circular economy. And yes, we need some recycling in the air along it sometimes, but it has to finish back down in soil. And that is one of the key things about these new 10 certifying standards that we're creating with Demeter is that they end in soil. So you grow the clothes from soil, you process them in a way that means that the fabric is absolutely not toxic to the people who work with it, nor to the microorganisms at the end of its life. So we're creating these now, they'll be ready in two years, but they'll be ready one at a time over the next two years. So the, the first one that we've created is the one on dye stuff, actually, that was probably the hardest one to do. And we did it first and just happened that way. 
And uh, we have nine more left to do. We're fundraising for those. We have a fundraiser tomorrow morning. I hope you will all come. Please, please, please do. You'll learn more about the charity. And uh, Mark here is interviewing me, which is great. Thank you, Mark. And um, so that makes me very excited that we now have the help of Demeter, who's seen great success in soil regeneration in the food space, coming over to fashion to help us out because we really need it. And I guess this is a big thing because, as you alluded to earlier, the fashion industry wields so much power. You know, like the glossy magazines, you know, what we see in haute couture on the runways in Paris, then trickles down into ready to wear and then trickles down into fast fashion. There is a lot of power here. And yet there's still not enough conversation about what needs to happen. So do you foresee in the near future, on the near term, that regeneration is going to be something that is front and center? Is this something that we're actually going to be able to see, yeah, within a decade? I mean, my daughter's sitting in the crowd today. I want to make sure that she's going to have a great planet to live on. And yeah, anyway, I just want to hear your thoughts on that side of things. Annoyingly, in fashion, we're seeing so much chat about sustainability and regeneration, clamoring. It's really cool to talk about now. And, but we're only seeing an increase in actual measurable sustainability that looks about like that size, but the clamor is about that size. So that is annoying to say the least. <laughs> we need to, we need to figure this one out so that businesses feel the ambition to talk about what they've actually done rather than what they might do one day. Because that's essentially what greenwashing is, is what uh, my definition of greenwashing. When you talk about something that's an ambition or a target and you congratulate yourself and applaud yourself on your target, what? <laughs> you haven't done it yet. So let's stop doing that. Let's congratulate ourselves on the things that we've already completed that are in the past. We may have targets and ambitions. That's fine. Roadmaps are even better. But don't congratulate yourself until you actually got there. No, I couldn't agree more. And that's such a simple and powerful definition. I'm definitely going to borrow that because people are always asking me to try and define greenwashing. But that's it. It's exactly what you just said. So that's perfect. Okay. So yeah, hopefully we're going to see you know, that gap closing. I think that's really important. And so let's talk a little bit more now about the work you're doing with dirt. So tell us about how that really came about. What are the, the farmers and the work that you're doing? How do you work with these brands? Yeah. Enlighten us more. So dirt came about simply because I realized that the beginning of every fashion story started in a farm, unless it started in a factory with petrochemical-based ingredients and turned into polyester. And I'm not interested in that story. That's a really boring story. We know we shouldn't be using those materials. Even when they're recycled, they're still shedding crazy amounts of microfibers. And those are very unhealthy for the microorganisms who do end up eating those microfibers. And those microfibers are toxic. So let's just move away from the synthetic fashion which is about 65% of fashion right now is synthetic. So that's absurd. We need to move to natural fibers, but natural fibers is not enough. In fact, I wish they weren't even called natural fibers because it's so deceiving. It's a plant or it's an animal, but either the plant or the animal was probably raised in a really, really toxic environment. So that's the beginning of dirt. That's why I did this is I realized there was such a niche to talk about agriculture and fashion and how they are so interlinked and so intertwined and how fashion can get behind agriculture and regenerative agriculture in the right way where the humans are so dignified 
and so pleased with what they are doing compared to chemical farmers in the conventional agricultural space who are sick, unhappy, unhappy to the point of suicide, actually. We tragically are seeing suicide is more prevalent in farmers than in any other demographic. And this is in the world. This is not just a rich country problem, and this is not just a poor country problem. It's pretty equal, actually, in all the countries. How sad is that? Farmers are growing for us everything that we need. And the reason that they feel so unwell that they want to take their own lives is because of the economic circumstance in which they find themselves. They have to carry the burden, the financial burden, of buying the seed, planting the seed, cultivating the seed, paying the labor, making the harvest happen. And then they can go to market with their crop, if they even have a crop, because sometimes climate gets in the way and your crop fails. So then you're trying to sell your crop and there's a market value. So when you planted it, you couldn't even predict how much you might be able to sell it for. What an unfair situation. Why do we put our farmers in this situation? So with Demeter, we're also looking at how to pay a farmer well and fairly. And that means paying the farmer first. That means sharing the risk. That means businesses starting to say, I don't want the cotton after it's been harvested and grown and cultivated and all of that. I want to talk to the farmer ahead of their planting season. And I want to get in there with them and go, I'm going to share this risk. I'm going to pass the risk to the consumer for once. So that farmers, you're not carrying this all by yourselves. And also the farmers are in debt. If they're a chemical farmer, a conventional farmer, they are in debt. They've been financing the purchase of their genetically modified seed. They've been financing the purchase of the chemicals to grow that seed. And they've been financing the purchase of the very expensive heavy duty machinery that they use to grow their crops. So they're living on the edge. That does not do good things to your mental health. Anyone who's experienced financial difficulty or even watched a movie about it, you get it. It's really, really stressful. So agriculture has a lot of things to change, and we are looking at all of these systems change that we can do through DART. I'm very much into systems change, the way I like to think my brain just goes into how can we move the system about so that we don't cause these problems anymore, so that we don't need to put band-aids on anymore, so that we can have a system that frees everybody within it and brings health and well-being to every transaction, to every day, to every moment in people's lives so that they can make the best decisions because we all will make the best decisions. I have such faith in humans. We are such kind, good people. We want to do the right thing and we will do the right thing when we're in a space that we are supported through governments, through corporates, through individuals. These are the ethos that we work with at DIRT is really working toward a future where, where everyone feels that because we all deserve to feel that. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing on a positive and impactful note. So I'd love to see if we have any questions in the audience. So while you're thinking of your questions, I'll just ask a quick one in between. And that is, I was just when you were speaking, also thinking like how much of this is like a price problem? Because I think consumers get so used to wanting cheap stuff, variety, you know, social media, wanting us to, you know, look different all the time, blah, blah, blah. So it's really like comes down to money, right? So what do you think needs to change that people understand that actually spending a little 
little bit more on a garment means that you get something that's actually good for the planet and good for people. Like, when are we going to see that on a mass like shift in consumer mindset? It's such a good question. I'm going to give two answers. One answer is subsidies. Right now, bad <laughs> quality products are subsidized in agriculture. And that really, that's a simple change. I mean, it's not simple. It's a very complex change to do it. And people are working on doing it. It's very slow, but it's an obvious change. If we start putting taxpayer money toward the good solutions that are causing good things to happen, the cost will come down because they're being paid for in part by the government. So that's one really obvious answer. And the next answer is not exactly to the question, but Let's think about it from the other side, from the consumer side of things. If you are someone like I am, who is so lucky at this moment to have enough money in your pocket to be able to buy the more expensive thing, it is your responsibility to do it because not everyone has that privilege. And it's an insane privilege, actually, to be able to make a choice to buy something that's more sustainable because it, and, and know that it's more expensive and still do it. Wow. Do it. You have to do it if you're able to, because there are so many people who are not able to, and it's not fair on them if we sit here and go, oh, I can't be bothered. Oh, I'm just going to go to the closest shop. Oh, I'm just going to do the thing I've always done before. Like, no, you have a responsibility to buy from the better businesses. And they are so grateful. If a business is doing something well and doing it sustainably, I'm sure all of you here know this because you're involved with one of them. It feels amazing to them when they get your business. They're so pleased because they're in it for a greater mission, but the purchase is the only thing that they have to support their mission. So think of it that way. When you're, when you're going out to buy something, how can you make a change and how can you do it with so much joy and feeling so good about it that the extra money you spend, you're like, yes, yes, let me, let me do it because I can. I think that's, that's something that we need to change in our mindsets because I, I have a lot of friends in London who are classifiably wealthy and I still hear conversations about like, oh, I got a good deal. And let's, what does a good deal mean? If it's a good deal for me, where did the deal come from? Ask yourself that. Because along the supply chain, there will be people who suffered for you to get a good deal. So if you're standing in the shop going, yay, got a good deal, question yourself. That shouldn't feel very good. If you're thinking when you buy something, wow, this is, a, this is a hefty price for this garment, let's say, for example, that means someone's being treated well for your purchase. Such a different story then, such a different way to buy clothes. Absolutely. And I would like to just remind everyone that we have 60 of these incredible brands at the marketplace. So once the talks are done in here at five, you have two hours to go and explore and support these amazing humans right here in this property. Okay. So who has our first question for Arizona? Yes. Great. There's a mic coming over. Even though I get to ask you this tomorrow, what has really surprised me in the last 30 years since maybe when I was a young teenager, very, very influenced by the fashion industry and trying to identify you know, figure out who I am and, and which fashion I wanted to follow in order to be that person is the amount that people from not wealthy backgrounds are influenced by luxury brands and their need to signal is, I don't know, given to them by, by a very evil industry such that children are getting, you know, beaten up and their shoes stolen or their shirt stolen or their jacket stolen. That machine is what is fashionable today. That to me is, is the biggest crime that's, that's sort of being perpetuated. 
and the amount of income, the ratio of the income that people spend as a proportion of their overall take-home is incredibly high. That's the thing that I would want to change. Where does that happen? Advertising. I think we need to look at ethics in advertising severely in every industry, but let's take fashion as an example because of the picture that you just painted for us, which is really brilliantly accurate and crazy. Why is it okay to tell lies about something that you're selling in the name of selling it? But that's what advertising is. It's absurd when you think about it. And you're allowed to plaster that on billboards and tell it to everyone and there's no accountability. I like to imagine a world where... Advertising looks totally different, where advertising is about what you can give to your potential consumers rather than what you can like hang in front of them and make them want. So imagine if all the businesses couldn't do billboards, it was illegal. Instead, they had to get you in some other way, like through wellness. And so imagine like every street corner has, you know, a Coca-Cola massage parlor and it's free massages for everyone, free sound baths, free to get you to love the brand. Because how else can they do it if we make it illegal to like put a picture that just creates desire? Anyway, just like we need to think of other ideas is my point here. We need to think of other ways because of the damages that the advertising industry is causing and the lack of accountability. They're not, there's, there's nothing that happens when that story that Mark just shared is reality, which it is. I'd also like to share, going back on the theme of conscious brands, that Dirt has an earth shop, and it's a window where we showcase sustainable conscious businesses who are selling beautiful products and giving a proceeds of a percentage of proceeds to the charity. So if you're a conscious brand who'd like to join Earth Shop, please come and contact us. Talk to us about what that is like. And uh, if you're looking to buy beautiful things, please have a look on the Earth Shop and in that amazing marketplace. That's so fun. Do we have a, another question? Hi there. You mentioned natural fibers being obviously better than, you know, other chemically produced plastics, etc. But so do you recommend to consumers to also buy recycled clothing? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because obviously it's still bad when it goes into the dirt, but maybe we're keeping it alive longer. I have a mixed opinion right now on recycled synthetics. I own some of them. Some of my gym clothes are made from recycled synthetics. I think in general, we need to move away from them. I also look from a finance point of view, recycling has absorbed a great portion of impact finance money and it's not the most impactful thing that we can do. So looking at it from that point of view, I hope to see more impact financial investments going into regenerative agriculture, for instance, because the impact is so much bigger. You get more bang for your buck when you're investing into regenerative agriculture in terms of climate wellness, earth wellness, and human well-being than you do when you invest into recycling. But there's a place for everything. I definitely don't think we should stop recycling. That's not what I'm saying right now. We should recycle. Recycling is great. We should even do it in much greater detail. I love it how in Germany you have seven buckets in your house. Every single person does, and they've all been doing that for two generations. And they're like, it's not that hard, guys. Why can't the rest of the world do it? And I agree. Why can't the rest of the world do it? So... Not an answer for you at all, but I have some recycled things. I choose not to buy some other ones. The, the, the best use from all my little activism research into what to do with synthetics when they're at the end of their life is to make them into a brick and 
cover them in plaster and use them as a building material because you don't want to make them into a fiber. That's a really bad use because they're they just shed everywhere and they're it doesn't work very well. Whereas it does work if you put them into a brick and make them into a building material. It seems like that's that's probably a better use of recycled synthetics. So yeah, but I'm not an expert on recycling synthetics. I'm much more interested in soil. We'll take a final question here at the front. Hi there. So you've approached things from the supply side, but really what I think the, the big problem is on the demand side, right? So if we can all consume half of what we consume, then the planet would be in a much better stage. So what can we do or what are you doing in educating consumers or like Marie Kondoing everything or just changing that need to purchase? Because when we address consumers, then we can stop the consuming. I love that question. So I don't believe in denial, in denying yourself something. And I get asked that a lot, like, oh, now that you live a more sustainable life, do you feel like you're constantly like saying no to this and no to that and you can't have this? And actually, I don't feel like that. I feel like my life is richer than it's ever been. I'm happier than I've ever been, as I mentioned before. And I don't deny myself anything. My knowledge protects me. I walk into a store, I see a sparkly sequin dress. I don't go, oh, I wish I could have that. I go, oh, I don't want that. I know it's covered in plastic. I can imagine the people who made it. I know the conditions that they were working in when they made it. And I don't deny myself the purchase of that dress. I'm really pleased not to purchase it. So I think we need to educate ourselves to give ourselves visuals. YouTube is a really great resource for this. Go on YouTube and look at garment factories. You will get some images in your head that will stick. And they will help you when you go into those sorts of situations where you might be tempted for something. And, it, and it's good to see it, see the real cost of, of that garment. And also, when you say no to something, someone told me once that it's like a coin. If you say no to something, there's a yes on the other side. So when you say no to something, you're saying yes to, I support a different kind of fashion. When you say yes to something you're saying no to something else. So a great example of that is totally unrelated to fashion, but in our social lives, we often say, have the opportunity to say yes or no to things. And when we say, no, I won't accept this invitation, thank you so much, me, I'm saying, yes, I'm gonna spend the day with my children. You know, like some beautiful things happen when you look at the yeses on the other side of the yes and no coin and get really conscious about what you're saying no to when you say yes and what you're saying yes to when you say no. So I think to answer your question, it's all about what you fill yourself up with instead of what you say no to. Let's focus on the what we get and what we receive in life and from our choices rather than what we're not doing because then you can get into a boring life. That's such a beautiful way to end the conversation and that's going to be something else that I that sticks with me because I think I, I often have that like firmer like oh my gosh I should, da, da, da. it's like no what am I saying yes to it's so simple so simple so powerful so if we can just flick the slide we have a QR code that we're going to put on the screen if you'd like to find out more about dirt and or donate to Arizona's incredible charity support the work that her and Simona are doing to really support farmers and regeneration and really fixing this very very messy industry that we have on this planet 
And then the next slide after that, once people are finished with their phones, as Arizona said, we have a fundraiser tomorrow at 1880 with Mark. And so, yes, if there's anyone here that would like to come and will donate, it is a fundraiser. So please do find us and we'll make sure that you can come um, and enjoy that. So let's thank Arizona for the time and for sharing so beautifully with us. curious what did you think about the episode and what were your main takeaways is there a topic you want me to dive deeper into i'd love to hear from you you can find me at stephel dixon or at live wide awake if you got something out of the podcast and you want to continue this journey with us consider subscribing and supporting i hope that today's conversation stirred something deep within you ready to awaken and until next time live wide awake